Welcome to Beyond Politics, broadcast on WKXL, available wherever you get your podcasts and also available wherever you get your videos, especially on Facebook, YouTube, because we're doing this both as an audio and will be broadcast on WKXL and as a video with my good friend, my actually my high school, well, you weren't quite a classmate, you were one year ahead of me, but yes. longtime colleague, friend, Cliff Schechter, the principal, the owner of Blue Amp Strategies. This was one of three firms that did creative content for the winning Biden campaign. So Cliff really knows where it's at when it comes to messaging on the Democratic side. He has a resume as long as my arm when it comes to messaging, advising Democrats, advising advocacy groups, writing, podcasting. He's the host of the Unprecedented Podcast, an awesome show, which I've been a guest on and yeah. is uh, really a fantastic listen. And he is fresh off of what I'd call the 90s throwback, back-to-back -back <laughs> duo. You have recently hosted Paul Begala, which was an awesome episode. And you are fresh, Thanks. like fresh, spanking fresh off of interviewing James Carville. So Cliff Schechter, yes. first of all, welcome to Beyond Politics. Well, thank you. Always good to be here with, yes, my high school colleague, colleague in arms politically, who the hell knew that we were going to get older and grayer and it was going to be this many years later. And here we are, just like when we used to be running on the track back in the day. You That's know, right. The major reason. Track. Yeah, right. So first of all, the it's major scary. reason that I don't do more videos, I mean, besides the fact that I have a face that was made for radio, is that oh, the amount of gray hair that I see on myself. I, I, and by the way, what, what's up with the lack of gray hair on you? Do you have a picture that is rapidly aging in your attic? It's, it's strange. Like you don't actually look that different from well, the day that, you were running. Thank I, th I thought I, I thought I was aging. I mean, I'm lucky that you're right. I, I haven't done anything. The hair has mostly stayed there. Get some gray on the sides here as my kids like to point out, but I've aged in plenty of other ways. I mean, trust me, like I brought up that track thing, man. We used to go for those runs and be like, ah, oh. now like I'm at a point where I still try to stay in shape and always have, but you know, the aches and pains at the end of the day after doing oh, yeah. lifting weights or going for a run or like everything hurts. Like, I'm just like, I have to stretch out for like four and a half hours just to make sure I can walk again. I'm exaggerating a bit, give or take, you know, it's, it's not that big of an exaggeration. It's sort of on the line of saying that, that tourists came to the Capitol, you know, last yeah, week. Right, and, uh, right, right. It's like that. Oh, no, yeah. I mean, thank I you. I remember There's, when I worked on Capitol Hill that the tourists always climbed up the wall. That was sort of like, they're basically yeah. spiders. Yeah. Well, you yeah, know, they, they like to defecate on the walls and, and oh, they generally like to pick up, grievously injure the, the guards there with like, you know, American flags and stuff. You know, like normal absolutely. tourists do. Yeah, just normal stuff. Well, you know, look, while we're putting ourselves in the way, way back machine, I, I there's a little bit of method to the madness of bringing this up. Because as we're talking about circa late 80s, early 90s politics and, and life, so not only did you have this back-to-back -back from that time frame of Begala and Carville, but also I was reminded recently in listening to your Begala interview, I can't wait to listen to your Carville interview on the Unprecedented podcast. I was reminded of the classic Saturday Night Live skit from 1988 with John Lovitz as Michael Dukakis, Dana Carvey as President H.W. H. Yes, George H. W. Bush. Yeah, that's right. And so they're doing he did, this he debate was the skit. Best, man. Yeah, go ahead. And, and, so, and so George Bush in this skit gives this rambling, incoherent answer. And after a beat, he's doing all this. Stay crazy the course. Shit. Stay the oh, course. Can I not curse? Uh, well, you can't for the radio, but you can for video. So I could bleep you. 
Okay, well, I just cursed by mistake. I apologize. You'll bleep that out. Yeah, I'll bleep Go for it. it. But Mike Dukakis comes in and says, I can't believe I'm losing to this guy. And the, the, the place I'd like to start is the whole Democratic Party should be feeling this way. Let's just, for, for, as a brief, brief recap, in the final year alone of Donald, Pres Donald Trump's presidency, he got us on the course to 600,000 Americans dead. His own administration's health leadership said that we could have avoided the majority of those deaths. We yeah, could have I think avoided, about right? 80%, like, something like that, 75%, I mean, something like that, yeah. We could, have, we could have avoided almost half a million American dead caused by the incompetence and the, the buffoonery of our former president. We, of course, could have saved ourselves a ton of the economic pain that we're still living through. And let's not forget everything that preceded it. The record lying and incompetence, the plenty of good people on both sides of the white supremacist Charlottesville debate. It, it, it's just stunning. And yet, and yet, and yet, we were 0.25 of a percentage point away from a not having a runoff in Georgia in the Purdue Senate election, and therefore not having a Democratic majority in the US Senate. We were 42,000 yep. votes away from having Donald Trump second term. And we are on a razor's edge, a knife's edge, staring over into the abyss that I think you and I agree a, a second term for Donald Trump would represent. And by the way, that's not, not just Donald off Trump, the table. just even even uh, that's true, but I would even go further and say just a the the what we what now is expected to happen, which is Republicans taking over the House in 2022. I, and, right. and and I mean they're not a serious group of people that believe in governing in any way. It'll it'll just be awful. It'll be well, let me let you finish. I don't want to well, I'll I can answer. I mean I, I was I was about to try and but it's even worse you and because we're Democrats, we're good at that kind of thing. Let's not forget that on average three U.S. senators and seven House members die in each two-year term of Congress. Huh. And so- I didn't even know that stat. Yeah, and it's actually, I mean, it slowed down a little bit as, you know, the the, the actual tables have changed. Yeah. Right, you know, so like being a senator in your 80s is not quite as, as lethal as it used to be, but the numbers don't lie. So we are this close, we're this close. And so mm -hmm. I have to ask you, you just came off of, this back-to-back, -back, the Begala and Carville, what are they saying? And what are you thinking in terms of why are Democrats losing to this guy? Well, one of the reasons we had Carville on is because he gave this interview to Vox where he talked about a lot of this. And it's the stuff that, you know, you listen to our podcast, others who don't, John and I, John Evrosis, who's worked in politics for years like myself, we just, we sit there and we do that kind of, I can't believe we're losing, you know, all the time. And Carville in that interview completely spoke to us because again, we were like, they can, they can take any little stupid nonsensical thing, Dr. Seuss and blow it up into something that, you know, is a four alarm fire and the world's going to come to an end. And then they take real things that were tragedies. Let's say Benghazi, for example, right. that was a security failure that we should have wanted to get to the bottom of in, in a nonpartisan way and say, I mean, look, if Hillary Clinton was at fault, she was at fault. And that's where the chips should have fallen. If others who are Democrats, same deal. But the point is, is that's not what we should have been looking for. What we should have been looking for is what went wrong. And then wherever that pointed, instead, 
not only did they run a partisan investigation that was all about smearing Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, they really got to the, the bottom of what went wrong because they didn't care, right? It wasn't, wasn't what they wanted to do. It was all about politics. And so let me talk about Carmel first because I, I used an example recently you know, about this. Or maybe I should say that first because I brought this up to Carville because he was actually in Mississippi when we were yeah. interviewing him, where Benny Thompson is from, Congressman Benny Thompson. And I'm a big fan, admirable guy. He's old school. He's been around a while. What he's probably had to, to get through in terms of civil rights, terrific congressman. But there was an interview the other day where they asked him, you know, why won't Kevin McCarthy support, you know, doing a January 6th, you know, to doing an honest investigation, a bipartisan investigation on January 6th. He's like, well, you know, he's like, I got to say, in my humble opinion, I think it's probably because he's hiding something or other. And just, you know, if it came out, people wouldn't be happy. Blah, blah, blah. And you're sitting there, you're like, what, is, what good did, did that just do? You know, these, these sort of all these, you know, the, these sort of various clauses and caveats. And, what, and and then I looked back at what Jim Jordan, the infamous Jim Jordan said, who ran point for a lot of the Benghazi investigation, where, by the way, folks, we had 30 something investigations. We spent more time on that than we did on either Pearl Harbor or 9-11 because the Republicans were convinced that, you know, and they were right, that it would knock Hillary Clinton's poll numbers down, which they admitted out loud at one point. I think Kevin McCarthy may have admitted it out loud. And, and you know, you, and I went back to this interview he did at the time and he was like, what we know is they lied. They were dishonest with the American people. They, they, they don't want to admit that it was terrorism because they don't care. But I mean, like he impugned the character of Hillary Clinton and of Barack Obama based on their bullshit. BS investigation. And you're like, here is the basic asymmetry, which is they can take something that where Democrats may have not even done anything wrong, or certainly if they did, it was a mistake. And they they go after our integrity, they go after our competence. Meanwhile, again, and this is what got us interested in Carpo, because he was like, in, in his interview with Vox, he was like, oh my God, he's like, they inspired and perhaps gave aid and comfort to the people that stormed the Capitol that attacked and committed an act of domestic terrorism, that killed people, that grievously injured and injured up to 140 of the Capitol Police, that was the first attack on our Capitol since the Brits did it in the War of 1812. I mean, all these things, and you'd think to yourself, that should be in our messaging every single day. And I don't get why this is so hard. Jim Jordan says something. My response to Jim Jordan immediately is, well, I'm not sure why Representative Jordan is talking. He has no credibility. Maybe he can tell us what he saw in the showers at Ohio State. But if not, Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about, about the people who he spent time with, hung out with, who he's used the exact same language as, who he's appeared on shows with, who stormed our capital and attacked us. Maybe he's scared of the fact that he, that he pals around to take a phrase with terrorists. Maybe that's what I would do before he even opened his mouth to give his opinion on what I wouldn't care if you're asking him about what the, what the temperature was outside. That is how I would introduce him. And I'll just say quickly, I see yeah, you want yeah, to ask, yeah. you know, I want but, to ask but, you about that. Go ahead. They drive the message home constantly. It, not just with you know digital ads and stuff, not just with press conferences, but in the way they speak about us. And they and and because the, if you say something like what Jim Jordan said during Benghazi, well, what does that do? Those are the headlines, which you know that's what most people read anyhow. We're too busy to read beyond headlines. They've got their lives to live, so they're influencing people that way. And controversy is catnip for cable TV, as you also know. So you say something like Jim Jordan says, it gets covered all over TV. You give a statement like Benny Thompson, nobody really understands exactly what you said, and it goes nowhere. And like, you know, and it's in our DNA being these sort of the, the, the you know, the courtly gentleman, you know, or gentlewoman. And, and it, you know, that's not the age we're in. We're not dealing with Jim Jeffords, 
right? Like we're, we're not dealing with Olympia Snow. We're not dealing, like this is not that Republican party and that needs to stop because we need to constantly be driving the message. I mean, three messages, if you wanted to, to do it right now, I know you want me to shut up and you want to ask me questions. No, so no, no, quickly, go. But, but terrorist attack on January 6th, the pandemic, as you pointed out and tie that into the economy and deaths, the, the kissing butt to Russia. Those three things should have never gone away and they should be the three planks. They should be involved in national ads on TV everywhere. They should be on billboards everywhere. They should be how we introduce, how we talk about Republicans all the time. You know, Donald Trump said this. Well, I mean, Donald Trump, remember, somebody who went to Helsinki and basically bowed down before Vladimir Putin was negotiating a, a Trump uh, Moscow deal he wouldn't even tell us about. That's how you introduce it, right? And we don't do that. We just don't do it. So what I'd like to do for, for people who don't know you, you're not just saying this stuff in terms of here's what our messages should be off the cuff. You think really deeply about these kinds of things. There's a lot of process that goes on behind the scenes. Not that what people are really interested in is like, well, how do you think these things through? But I find it fascinating as a strategic question. So what I'd like to do is what in CIA tradecraft used to be called, Ooh. let's walk the cat back, right? Let's, let's figure out are kind you of the in the CIA like, and you're not I telling me? I, I, I can neither confirm nor deny. The point Fair. is- Or you could tell me you'd have to kill me. <laughs> I, I wasn't in Skull and Bones, I can tell you that much. So, okay, fair. So what I'd like to figure out is, okay, you just identified three messages. I might even, I might even lose the Russia piece, but regardless, regardless. Well, I might at this point, uh, for the Trump election, that should have been front and forward, front sure, and center. Sure, but, okay. sure, 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 yes. No, uh, point taken, but I mean- Let's, let's talk a little bit about why we should be refocusing the message there and why, because what, what Carvel was pointing out in that Vox interview you mentioned is we have lost control of our own narrative. We are being painted by, let's face it, the worst, most confusing elements of our coalition, the people who are engaged in the defund the police, all these woke terms for... You know, I, I think he points out in- I mean, he said it on our show, we talked about it. I mean, defund the police. I mean, again, and I've said this, and I don't care. Come after me on Twitter, if you will. I really don't care. Is the stupidest slogan of all time. Well, if your slogan tells people the opposite of what, or something completely different than what it is you have to do. I mean, when people defended that slogan, they were like, yeah, but we don't really mean defund the police. I'm like, well, then don't say it. Right. I mean, like, right. if you right. don't mean it, and that's the impression you're giving people, like, I mean, here, here's my slogan. Let's kill orphan kids. And what I really mean is let's cut taxes. Yeah. But I'm going to say right. let's kill orphan kids. I mean, like, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand, right? So, right. And, so, and so what he's pointing out is we've sort of handed the baton off. We as Democrats have handed the baton off to our opposition to say, here's who these guys are. Here's what they're about. And it's because we're, so, so let's, let's, let's back it up for a second here. So the problem that I think we're trying to solve is that there's been a real change since Bagala and Carville's heyday in the 90s in yes. the American electorate, right? Not only the tribalization of politics, not only the kind of the collapse of the, of the ideologies into, if you're on the right, you're a Republican. If you're on the left, you're a Democrat. That didn't used to be true. But also what goes with that, the shrinking of the swing vote. So now it's Correct. estimated to be between six and 9% of the electorate. So the dominant campaign strategy has now become, you've got to maximize turnout on your side. You've got to inspire turnout on your side. Republicans have home field advantage on that. 
because they're far more homogenous. Democrats have always been a broader coalition of interests and demographic groups. So it's a harder messaging challenge to do that. Yep. And at the same time, you can't let go of swing voters because let's not forget Catalyst, the Democratic data firm just did a study of this and a significant proportion of that 42,000 vote margin came from vote switchers. So it's still important. So when you say, hey, let's focus in on the pandemic and the insurrection, what, you, what you're really saying is, here are core messages that do double duty. They appeal to that remaining critical swing vote in those remaining critical swing vote places. And also they inspire the democratic base. Now that's me interpolating, am I right? As far as I am concerned in my esteemed opinion, me with a bio as long as your arm, which I don't know how long your arm is. So if you have a really short arm, maybe my bio is not as impressive as you said. Let's be I'm a bit of a T-Rex, I won't lie. Okay, <laughs> there you go folks. But uh, yeah, because again, this I hate the sort of, the, the, when we get into the, the sort of these arguments about we can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Well, you know, Biden is saying positive stuff about the, <clears throat> about, you know, the, the stimulus and he should be, look, we got it passed. And my answer, of course, on that is, of course, because again, do you want him to be a reviled figure? It, he wouldn't even do it if you wanted him to. It's not in his personality, but do you want him to be liked in the, or disliked in the manner in which Donald Trump was? He should be giving positive messages. And yeah, he should be taking jabs here and there. Right. Oh, well, Republicans refuse to work with us. They're part, you know, they're being partisan on this or or, you know, reminding people what, you know, that they were the ones who led an insurrection on January 6th. You should do a little bit of that. But the core of that should be coming from the rest of us, other elected officials from your, you know, the House Demo and, and Senate caucus. But mayors around the country, governors around the country, attorneys general around the country, people like you and me, people who are who are TV pundits, people who are writers for for publications. <clears throat> and and we can actually say, oh, my God, the, the Biden stimulus is great. Why was it great? Well, it was great because it put money out there to get people vaccinated. Donald Trump didn't care about that. He killed, you know, he, he spent all, all of his money on tax cuts, ignored getting people vaccinated, ignored the virus, and that ended up killing 600,000 people. You see how I got a positive and a negative in there at the same time? That is messaging. You contrast, right? And so Biden doesn't have to be the one hitting them all the time with the negatives, but the rest of us should be, and we should be constantly because we're not reminding people that they let people die and, and, and didn't even try to get the vaccine out there, didn't even convince people not to wear masks, not to get vaccinated. They're still doing it. You know, what Tucker Carlson says on Fox, they all go in a show, it should be wrapped around their freaking necks, you know? And, and that's just one message. You know, Carville brought up a really interesting point, which is, which is he said, you know, look, you know, Democrats, and this is part of the sort of woke whatever thing is like, they don't want to, Democrats don't want to talk about crime necessarily. Well, people actually, this is an issue. Crime for the first time has gone up. This is something that, you know, we lived through, you know, me and, me and Matt here, man. He was, he, I think he was a suburbanite. I'm trying to remember. Riverdale? No, 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 no. I was, I was Manhattan. Oh, you're oh, Manhattan. I don't know why. Look, I you were that. there. You were there when our track team got stomped, right? At the track, mm. on, at the track on 238th street, right? Like, That's correct. Yeah. So here's the thing. I was when I was going to Manhattan, and I'm not trying to say anything, you know, act like I'm some tough kid. I still was growing up in a middle, you know, class neighborhood. But you know, those are the days when they're making movies like Escape from New York and Warriors, you know, and like Death Wish. Like New York <clears throat> crime was bad in the, when I was a little kid in the late '70s, and even a little bit of a preteen in the '80s, in the early '80s. All right. 
And then it started going down eventually, whatever. It's, it, every president has seen crime go down at Carville point this out, I didn't even know this. Since Bill Clinton, every president has seen crime go down during their time, except for Donald Trump. So now you're thinking to yourself, they're That's trying so much to for use- American carnage, huh? Yes. So they're, as you just pointed out, they're trying to use the crime issue in a racist way when they failed on crime. So why would you not, you know, and I hate when people give Karl Rove credit for go after their strength as if nobody else ever thought of that. I invite you to look up the, the war theories of Sun Tzu and Hannibal and, and other, other folks who fought wars in, in, in times who understood you go after your opponent's strength. One but of I the digress. great commands of Alexander <clears throat> the Great, and it's actually the military historian John Keegan makes this one of his classic case studies. Now I'm out nerding you. So take that, Cliff Schechter. Go on, sure. go on. You're, you're, you're that was just cold. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, in any case. But I mean, like, you, you know, if, if they're trying to make crime their strength, it's the easiest message to pivot from, which is under Donald Trump, under the Republican House and Senate, crime has gone up everywhere. Now, we have a strategy, a smart strategy, a tough strategy, lay that out to go after it. But we mean we're going after street crime, and then we're also going after all crime. We don't think that, that Republican speakers of the House should end up in prison for, for molesting kids. That may not be the way you say it, but we don't think Jim Jordan should, look, should, should just deny what happened in showers. We don't think that Matt Gates should be trafficking 17-year-olds. We don't think Roy Moore should be calling 13-year-olds in trig class to ask them out on dates. We don't think now that in New York, Donald Trump, as we've learned is now a criminal investigation of the Trump organization. Yeah, we're going after criminals. That includes the Trumps and Matt Gates and all of them. The ones who will come after you and steal your purse on the street or the ones that will come and steal your nest egg from your bank. We're going after all of them. And there's a message like it's narrative. This I don't understand. I don't think I'm that smart. This isn't that hard. You build a broader message that encompasses you know, defending yourself and going after the other side. To me, crime, if you don't want to talk about the Russia thing, the crime thing would be perfect. Because it would take a strength away from that. I mean, the pandemic is going to lead you to the economy. You do a message on the pandemic and the economy. Our positives, their negatives. You know, you do a message on the insurrection. And you, frankly, you maybe tie that into the crime thing too. Hey, a whole lot of criminals who were inspired and who met with and who hung out with, one of them on video, we see hanging out with, with Marjorie Taylor, whatever that F her name is. You know, like, I mean, I mean, one of our good buddies was there storming the Capitol. They, they've yeah. palled around with terrorists, with criminals. All right. Do you think they're going to keep you safe? That is what we should be asking that swing voter. Do you think the people that inspired and gave aid and comfort to people that stormed and attacked our capital for the first time in 200 years, that maimed or killed 140 cops, do you think they're the ones that are going to protect you from crime? Do it's you? a really good question. It's a really good question. And you know what you were talking about? How do you offer a contrastive, effective, emotionally resonant criticism of things that are, to quote Shakespeare here, very true and very full of proof about wow, your Republican Party. Wow, look at you all Shakespeare now, too. I'm going to all Shakespeare. Me look, I, get me to a nunnery, my friend. I'm, I'm kind of a modern Renaissance man. Look, I, look, I'll tell you a story. Talking about what a nerd I am, about how effective this can be. I went to Swarthmore College. It's a it's a little itty-bitty liberal arts college. Pennsylvania. Yeah, Pennsylvania. And, and you went to I UPenn, went to college right? in that state, too. I know that state. Yeah, so I'm an, I'm an overeducated liberal Ivy Tower, you know, one of those. And Swarthmore has a reputation for being extremely nerdy, like extremely nerdy. And we were playing basketball against our, our top rivals. Believe me, this is not exactly like Celtics Lakers here. And uh, our, our opponents across the gym started a chant of freaks and geeks, freaks and geeks. And we all looked at one another and we kind of shrugged. We said, you know what? Yeah, that's kind of right. 
that that's that's really on point. We do not have a comeback for this. What are we going to say? Jocks and cool people? No, it's true. You got us. And it goes to your earlier point, which is that there are ways for Democrats to not be constantly playing defense, to say things that are true, that are real, to go on offense, to point out the contrast between the disasters of Republican policies and behavior and a better path for Democrats. And you can do that. I love the counterattack even, which is let them come in and attack you. And then part of your defense is a great offense because you defend yourself by pointing out the positive, then ripping it and turning it on them. You know, right, I mean, right, again, right. you can message all of these things. And that's what we were talking about. It should, but you have to be willing to be tough. You have to be willing to speak in sound bites and slogans uh, at times when it's necessary. I don't care if we're smart and we love to talk about, you know, as you and I hear about Sun Tzu or Shakespeare. There are times for that, like podcasts like this. And there are other times. For example, I was looking at this thing the other day. And you, if you listen to our podcast the other day, you may already know this. It was just me and John, but we were, we were talking about it. And just sort of popped in my head. I'm like, why are we not calling this the Sedition Commission? Why aren't we? People like the Insurrection Commission, like that doesn't roll off your tongue. Or the what? The Sedition Commission. It's so easy, you know. But it's, of course, we wouldn't. We wouldn't do it. We wouldn't do it because. And that's you know, what they would do, right? Yeah. They'll sit there. Ted Cruz will get up on the stage, and he will say that he's seen, you know seen a video of a live baby aborted in Planned Parenthood or somewhere like that that never happened that should be considered basically blood libel. And we don't even have to, to, to be disgusting and be liars and cons like Ted Cruz. We just need to tell the truth about them. Oh, they I'll tell are, you, that, that's half the, when, if you're a writer and you can check out Cliff's writings, you, you appear on the Daily Beast, you, you, you're all over the internet. So if people wanna Google you, but you know, as a writer, that half the challenge is coming up with a great title, right? It is. And I, you know, I, I worked at a think tank. I've made this joke before. I'll indulge in it again. We only had really one good idea, so it was more of a thought tank. But I worked at a think tank over 20 years ago on internet policy, and we were doing this, you know, really wonky study. And there was a consultant on a, a conference call we had about presenting our findings to people on Capitol Hill. And he just kind of cut through all of the nerdy details we were giving. He's like, no, 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 no. Look, if you want people to pay attention, what you got to do is you have to come up with a title and it's got to, it's got to be alliterative, right? You've got to make people feel like they have messed rhyme, up. Make it alliterative. Rhyme, it has make to be it alliterative. something that just. And so he said, look, here's what you do. I don't care what your analysis shows. Find the 12 states that are doing the worst and call them the disconnected dozen. And so there what happened? Go. We did it. I went to work on Capitol Hill a few months later and I heard from my new colleagues, oh my gosh, we have to get on this bill. You know why? I heard that our state is part of the disconnected dozen. So yes, sedition commission, totally agree. But here's I'm my- I'm gonna go after this on Twitter and I'm gonna push it and be like, if everybody doesn't use this, I'm angry. Well, I'm gonna start doing it right now, hashtag sedition commission. But here's my question for you. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna sort of challenge you a little bit on this. So- Now you're scaring me. Well, let's assume that you've come up with the optimal message here and you are informed by old and wise hands here. I mean, you've just talked to Begala and Carville and, you know, look, you, you move on the inside of the top circles in democratic politics. So you're in the know, you've thought about this, you've looked at polling, you've looked at, you've looked at focus groups, you've thought about this. Can I would say actually, I'm more the edge of those circles, if you want to be honest, but you know, I get to peer in here. You're, you're being self-deprecating, but can it work anymore? And, and, and here's what I mean. The, the political scientist, Gary Jacobson, 
was recently quoted in the New York Times uh, saying that the public's reaction to what he calls the riot, we could call it the insurrection, we could call it the sedition, the public's reaction to the riot, like everything else. To me, it should have been called violent sedition or domestic terrorism, and probably those two interchangeably. Terrorist attack. If you're not creating an image of violence in people's heads, then they can start saying, hey, look, tourism, which is why I sent out a tweet that said, other famous, I played on the word terrorism and tourism, and I sent out a tweet at one point said, other famous acts of, of tourism and showed 9-11 and Kennedy being assassinated. And like, that's the, what the response should be. Right, sorry, like when the Germans ahead. visited Belgium in 1939. So what Gary Jacobson says is the public's reaction to the riot, like everything else these days, is getting assimilated into the existing polarized configuration of political attitudes and opinions. In other words, Whatever frame you bring to your perception, to whatever filter bubble you live in, where you get your news, and by the way, 40% of Americans now get their news from Facebook. So you're existing, God in, help us all. Coming through your, it's coming through your news feed, you're in a filter bubble, and whatever frame you bring to this kind of thing is how you're going to see incoming information. You're going to apply all kinds of biases to it, confirmatory bias. bias, Exactly. And so can you, can it even work anymore? Or are we just subject to some of the bigger forces of demographics, you know, turnout energy? We're already seeing the consumption of liberal leaning media, psyops is down significantly, about 40% since the election. So Democrats are not enthused. They're not coming in with a head of steam to the election in 2022. You already alluded to the forces, the gerrymandering that are going to be against the proposition of House Democrats retaking the House. So can any of this optimal messaging head off any of those waves or are we kind of stuck? No, I don't think it's just optimal messaging. I think optimal messaging can be a part of the process of staving it off. Certainly people on the left, people in the center need to know the stakes. It seemed to me, you know, if I understood you correctly, you're saying, well, can you ever reach people at all? Well, look, I mean, we did. It wasn't a huge number, but we, we switched. We got massive numbers of college educated whites to switch over from Trump or being never Trump Republicans who couldn't vote for a Democrat or whatever they were to vote for Joe Biden. We even won back, you know, a small percentage, I think it was working white working class women, won them back who voted for Trump, who voted for Biden. And, and, and on the margins, you know, you lose a rural county 80-20 instead of 73, you know, 27, that could, that could be the state, you know? So, so yes, I would argue, first of all, that this is all about winning by addition. And you're trying to build a, you know, so messaging is an important part of that. Because again, as I said before, if we're messaging better, you want to reach people a lot of the time when when they don't know they're being reached. And so you need to push it. Our mainstream media, you know, like I rip into them all the time and they piss me off and they always will. But their function, what they do is they will normalize anything and they'll turn everything into just, oh, it's just polarized, you know, between Democrats and Republicans, as opposed to normal people who who don't want democracy and everybody else. Now, some of them have moved away from that. CNN's gotten better. Parts of the Washington Post have gotten better, but a lot of it's gonna, gonna be through that filter. Well, you need to get past that. And part of the way you're getting past it is by driving a message home. And part of the way you drive a message home is, well, you do what I was saying earlier. You don't give a kind of mealy mouth statement. You give a strong statement and you, you condemn them for what they did at the end. 
You put billboards up everywhere that maybe becomes a local news story. You agree to, to have people do, you know, who are veterans on our side, do local news interviews in places where, as we know, news is dying anyhow. People are getting it from fewer sources. Get them on the local TV news. Get them running op-eds for the local paper. Hold press conferences in states. Pass resolutions in city councils in cities all over the country that we control. Like, the right understands this stuff so well. All of that combines to influence perception. It's not like any one thing does. But like, you know, we just, we don't even seem sometimes to be willing to play the game. We're like, well, if we just concentrate on our policies. Oh, there they go again, Republicans calling us baby killers or saying that we're terrorists or whatever. You know, they're just putting, saying it for the camera, blah, blah. Well, yeah, maybe they are. Some of them I think aren't because they're a little bit, <laughs> but even the ones who, who, who are just saying it for the camera, it works. They convince well, people. That does resonate with me. I mean, my experience, we used to think about this all the time when I was the chief of staff for members of Congress who were in really tough competitive swing districts. The approach we always took, and this was something that at the time, Rahm Emanuel was sort of the messaging and campaign mm -hmm. guru for the Democratic Party in the House. The, the thing we always tried to do was everything. It was all of the above. It was every single little teeny tiny thing we could do because we viewed it as it's kind of like you're surfing in, in in american politics you can make changes adjustments moves that will change your course in small ways most of it is up to the ocean but you do have some control and what it really takes is sort of an all of the above everything right. you can possibly do but at the same time at the same time because what kind of drives me nuts about kind of some democratic activists is that they think there's a combination of magic words that are that silver bullet. There is not, right? There is, there is no like magic phrase where everyone will suddenly say, oh. Well, there's certainly really nothing you can say once or twice that just, oh, okay. Right, You know, right. like, I, I mean, the way I looked at it, and this is a coral, you know, I'd say a corollary of what you were just saying of doing everything you can do is, you know, whenever I've run a communications operation, the thing that I say to any candidate or if any, you know, if we're working on an, on an independent expenditure or whatever, every single time you are talking to anyone about what it is that you want to be talking about is a messaging opportunity. So if somebody calls me from the newspaper and says, what do you think about this? And I just say, well, I think that's a stupid policy or I think that that's a bad policy. I'm wasting a messaging opportunity. I should be saying, I'm, I think it's a bad policy. And, and the reason why I think it's a bad policy is because we have an unserious representative on the other side who actually voted to overturn the electoral college results. Can you, can you imagine that? Can you imagine someone who doesn't believe in our democracy and we think of voting for them? So of course they can't have any good ideas like what you're talking about because they don't understand our country. That's what well, I would say. And, and so to me, it's like, it's like, I'll just say very quickly, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, no. whether it's a TV ad, whether it's a digital ad, whether, you're, whether it's a conversation with six voters, like if you're not driving home your message, if you're not doing the kinds of things that I was just saying, though you're you're just missing opportunities. Well, let me let me ask about that because the most insidious thing going on in American democracy and in the Republican Party right now is the big lie. And it's nowhere more evident than in the insane ballot recount undertaken in Maricopa County, Arizona, where literally due to some crazy conspiracy theory, they outsourced to a private company with no experience in this 
the process of looking at ballots to see if there was bamboo content because of a theory that there were ballots flown in from Asia. Thailand and or somewhere. Literally everything that comes from Asia has to have bamboo in it because, you know, racism. Anyway, those people, yeah. Right, right, right. So, uh, I mean, just absolutely off the moon crazy. But the problem is that studies by experts of combating disinformation show that fact-checking doesn't work. Fact-checking repeats the original lie, the, uh, the original falsehood, and people end up confused. The, the, the waters are mentally muddied. So, Which is what they're trying to do. On the other which side, is what yes. they're trying to do, which is why they're trying to retcon the whole insurrection, the whole sedition episode as, you know, they can say it's any kind of crazy thing they want as long as it's not a violent attack on the U.S. Capitol. So my question for you as a messaging expert is, how does the Democratic Party combat the big lie? Is, should they let go of trying to set the record straight on the original base falsehood here that the election was stolen? stolen? Should they only be playing offense on the attack? What do you do? So, I mean, I'd look at that a couple ways. First of all, again, we're failing in sloganeering. Does the big lie sound so bad? I mean, it doesn't sound good. You know what I mean? But the big lie could be like, you know, my kid lied to me. He snuck out last night with a couple of friends and had a beer. I mean, it should be the big lie. It should be called the Trump sedition is what I would call it. Or come up with your something else on that level. But two words, something like that, something that rolls off the tongue, and that should be it. It's not the big lie. It's the Trump's edition, Trump's attack on our democracy. Do you support that? That's first of all. Because then it's there's no debate, right? You're not debating, well, the lie, the truth? No, you commit your sedition. Second thing is, you, you're right about that, right? If you're repeating what their lie, what we should be doing is constantly everywhere, not repeating their lie, but sharing the opposite. We should be taking what Christopher Krebs, who was the head of the, the you know, the what, the cyber unit, the uh, cyber, cyber security, security yes. and we should be saying this was the safest election of all time. We should be repeating that everywhere all the time. So that in its own way undoes some of what they're saying, because if they're hearing and seeing headlines that say this is the safest election of all time, this was the safest election of all time, blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, now they're hearing the opposite of what they're hearing from those goons. And the third thing we should be doing then is, which is sort of related to calling the Trump's edition, is going squarely after them. Because as you just said, defending themselves by saying, no, I'm not a liar. People just hear you're a liar. So you should be going I after not them. A you're a liar. Right. You're a liar. You, you, you know, you, 139 of you voted to overthrow the, the Constitution of the United States. You're a constitutional criminal. And, and you know, whatever, whatever the messaging is you come up with. But that's where, again, that stuff that we're, I don't want to bring up the, the congressman's name again, because I'm not trying to be mean on our side. You know, and I think he's very respectable and I, I have a lot of respect for him. But when we message things in a sort of, oh, you know, maybe they kind of want to hide something. No, you need to go straight at them and make the accusation and point out who they are. And if enough people, you know, repeat that and it's repeated in enough different ways, visually, you know, audio, this, that, TV, radio, earned media, paid media, conversations at the coffee shop you know, whatever it can be, right, on MSNBC, if that is constantly repeated, then that starts filtering to people too. Obviously, we have a distribution problem. I talk about this all the time in that we also allow them to build this massive distribution advantage 
in, in Fox News that mainstreams some of the garbage they say in talk radio throughout the country. We're making up for some of that now with thing, you know, podcasts that have gotten big and, and with, you know, certain online publications online and stuff that we're doing. And, but I mean, the fact is, is they have a distribution advantage. They're shameless and will repeat any attack on us. And if we're just sort of laughing it off and saying, ah, that's just Republicans being Republicans, we will lose. And that's so, the thing. You don't need to repeat their lie, but you need to defend yourself and point out they're, they're full of it. I mean, you know, there's a reason we talk about taking away, you know, in, in, the legal profession that it called impeach the witness. You take away a witness's credibility, what they say at that point doesn't matter anymore. So you remind people who Donald Trump is, you remind people who Marco Rubio is, you remind people who Louis Gohmert is when they open their mouths and suddenly what they say maybe won't be as important anymore, but you go after that too. So here's the lightning round question that's gonna function like the rug and the big Lebowski and kind of tie the whole conversation together. We've got about two minutes left. You've just finished talking no, from Shakespeare to the big Lebowski, I like it. Boom. <laughs> we, we, you've just talked to Bagala. You've just talked to Carville. And you've engaged your own highly experienced messaging brain. Fill in the end of this sentence for me. The one thing that Democrats need to do between now and Election Day 2022 to have a successful midterm election is get on one message about Republicans and repeat it endlessly. Uh oh, am I still with you? Are you still there? I'm still, I'm still here, second. but you did freeze for a second. So repeat one message endlessly. Yes. And I mean, it doesn't have to be like one message, like a couple words, but it has to be, it's saying, if you can say in a quick sort of statement who we are and who they are, that should be what should be out there. It should be one line, not that long. I threw out a couple of different examples of it, but that should be, and again, it should come from everywhere. Because again, as you know, you know, people used to, split tickets and this kind of thing. And it happens here and there, you know, you know, what's her name? Uh, Susan Collins won in Maine, even though we won there. Somehow Joe Manchin won, you know, in West Virginia by three points when Trump was winning by 38 or something. I don't even know. But most of the time people vote nationally. Elections are nationalized. There, you need, every, their party needs to be put underneath a certain banner and in a certain message. And that needs to be who all of them are. They should have to fight. It's like them trying to swim after the Titanic has sunk. They should be, each individual member should be trying to fight their way out of what we've put them into. We've dropped them in the freezing cold ass arse Atlantic, Atlantic, and they're trying to, to, to get out to, uh, to a lifeboat. That's what it should be for them. They should be drowning with everything we should be throwing at them for what they've done to this country over the last four years. Cliff Schechter, Blue Amp Strategies, unprecedented podcast. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.